everyone. Welcome to the Dwell on Truth Show. I'm Dan Bodwin. And I'm Brenton Powers. And we are blessed to have you joining us today as we continue our, our walk through the Word. And we're going through the Gospel of John. For those of you who may be joining us for the first time, uh, what much of this show has been is going through the Gospel of John, which is one of the stories of the life of Jesus written down by one of the eyewitnesses to that life. That would be the Apostle John, and we have gotten quite a ways through it. We're actually starting chapter 16 today. We'll see if we finish chapter 16 today. Uh, we are addressing kind of the end of, of Jesus' initial earthly ministry. This is the final direct address to the disciples before he is going to be arrested and crucified. So, and there's some really there's, there's some really important and, and heavy truths in here um, that we think will be convicting and encouraging at the same time. There certainly is. Yeah, it's something for non-believers, something for believers. Some things were just for the apostles to uh, prepare for the three days that he would be buried. And some things are for believers of all time, as Jesus talks about the work of the Holy Spirit in us, about Indeed. preparing for persecution, and preparing to have peace and joy, even when we don't see Jesus before his second coming. Oh yeah, and that is such an important truth that, uh, that we can see modeled in the disciples. But why don't we go ahead and get into it? Um, let's go ahead and, and just read the chapter front to back. Okay. If it's okay, I'll go ahead and start with the first verse, and we'll just go verse by verse. Sound sure. good? It sounds All great. Right. Let's do it. So once again, chapter 16 of the Gospel of John, and, and as usual, we're reading in the English Standard Version, the ESV version of the Bible, and starting in verse 1. And this is Jesus speaking. He said, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. A little while, you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us, a little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me, and because I am going to the Father? So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. 
Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves? What I mean by saying a little while and you will not see me and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Verse 22. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? The hour is coming, indeed, it has come, when you will be scattered, each of you to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Very cool, positive um, thought to end on. Yeah. <laughs> That Jesus has overcome the world, that we don't need to be fearful, that if we are in him, we are safe, spiritually speaking, at least, if not physically. Jesus wins in the end. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. That is a blessing and a comfort for sure. Yes. I noticed that there were these four times when Jesus says why he's saying these things, saying, I've said these things to you in order that in me you may have peace. He said these things for the purpose of giving us peace, although initially when people hear I'm going to be persecuted and there's going to be people hating me, it can feel unsettling. It can. But Jesus's purpose in telling us in advance is to help us to remember certain things. In fact, uh, verse 4 says that. Verse 4, but I've said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. And verse 1, I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. So he's preparing them. And it makes sense. You know, when we know something unpleasant is going to happen, it, it's a whole lot easier if we know ahead of time so that we can, you know, mentally and spiritually prepare ourselves for it. Yep. And I, I think that I've heard so many stories about people who were, at the very least, professing Christians who, you know, walked away from the faith because they said, well, you know, I was a Christian, but then all these bad things happened to me. So because these bad things happened to me, therefore God must not be real. Well, wait a minute. God kind of said, Jesus said, you know, well, you know, yeah, things are going to work out in the end. You know, I am good and I, I win and, 
and there will be a new heavens and a new earth and and you know times of of, of eternal joy and stuff but while you're on the earth things are going to be bad yeah. expect that the danger of being unprepared is you could fall away if you think that yeah, everything's supposed to be you know a bed of roses and you don't realize thorns come along with that yeah this is one of those reasons why it is so important that we not only you know get the bible for an hour on sunday mornings but we need to have a picture of all that god says yeah. the whole process not only the wonderful stuff at the end but the trouble that it's going to take for us to get there there are certain promises that god gives us for this life he wants us to have joy and peace mm. but when people look to their circumstances to give them the joy and peace that's not where they're going to find it no he points to himself and says in me you will have peace i say these things to you because in my word you will have joy amen he's sending out his disciples to preach the gospel which is joyful news it is but along with that joyful news we're going to have opposition but jesus is bringing us eternal eternal joy and peace in him and also in the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk a little bit more about that as we get into the next section, but we have a kind of a short little introduction here. The first four to five verses, um, Jesus is continuing on with the theme from the last chapter, and that is, the world will hate you. Mm. So maybe let's go verse by verse. Sure. I've said these things to you, verse 1, to keep you from falling away. Verse 2, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. So a warning. And this happened in history. We see in Bible even records the first martyrdoms. People start persecuting Christians and the apostles all died a martyr's death. They did. Except for John, who was, they tried to boil him to death and he survived it. They exiled him to Patmos. He died as an old man. If you look at the last century, more Christians have been martyred in the last century Mm. than all 18th centuries before that. Yeah. So should we uh, predict, Dan, that there's going to be more Christians being killed or are we more civil, our world is more civilized now? Do you see any uh, threats to Mm. Christians' lives? today? Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, we haven't seen, you know, persecution to the point of death in very many situations here in the West, but I think there's a good possibility that that could be coming. Certainly, there's there's enough uh, anger and animosity going on out there that, that there are certain people that would start killing Christians now if they thought they could get away with it. We're not in a really good spot, you know, because, of course, you know, we we teach the truth. We we teach God's word. We say, you know, you're doing things that you shouldn't. And nobody likes that. (laughs) There was an interesting quote by Paul Washer about the persecution that we are going to see in America is almost prophetic. Actually, I might be able to play it and we can react to it. Do you mind if I do that? Not at all. And we laugh now, but they will come after us. They will come after our children. You will be isolated from society, as has already happened. Anyone who tries to run for office who actually believes the Bible will be considered a lunatic until finally we are silenced. We will be called things that we're not and persecuted not for being followers of Christ, but for being radical fundamentalists who do not know the true way of Christ, which of course is love and tolerance. You'll go down as the greatest bigots and haters of mankind in history. So little by little, the net is closing around, and then it's not little by little. Look how fast things are going downhill just in a matter of weeks. Matter of weeks. But at the same time, know this. Persecution is always meant for evil, but God always means it for good. 
You must settle this in your mind. This is the one thing I want to say over and over. Down through history, you have a wrong idea of martyrdom and persecution. You think that these men were persecuted and martyred for their sincere faith in Jesus Christ. That was the real reason, but no one heard that publicly. They were martyred and they were persecuted as enemies of the state, as child molesters, as bigots, as narrow-minded, stupid people who had fallen for a ruse and can contribute nothing to society. Your suffering will not be noble. So your mind must be filled with the Word of God when all people persecute you and turn on you. And if the Spirit of God and common grace pulls back and you see even your children and your grandchildren tossing in the lot that you should die. This is no game. You want revival and awakening, but know this. For the most part, great awakenings have come only preceding great national catastrophes or the persecution of the church. I believe God is bringing a great awakening, but I believe that He is raising up young men who are strong in trust in the providence of God to be able to wade through the hell that's going to break loose on us. And it will be on us before we even recognize it. What do you think about that, Dan? I think it's, I think it's true. And... Uh... I am praying for that revival, but we're certainly seeing that. I mean, we're, oh man, I mean, I could go into a lot of depth on that and my feelings on it, but I think it would go a little more political than we want to go in our show. Yeah. But there are things obviously on the, in the political spectrum that concern me. And I tell you, it's not just things on the far left that are concerning me with the way politics are going, but things on the right too, Yeah, you know, allowing for things that, uh, that would never be considered before that are ungodly. And, uh, you know, you can fill in the, the blanks on what that is. I think it's pretty obvious, but yeah, there's persecution. Persecution is coming. And I think that, that we're going to feel the weight of it, even if it holds off a little longer here in the, in the United States, mm -hmm. um, we see the persecution of the church and the persecution of, of Christian principles um, in general um, throughout the world, but particularly throughout the West. And, uh, you know, and we see, you know, the rise of, of states like, like China and, and things like that, who have been, you know, contrary to the, the teachings of the church and, and Christian principles for many, many, many years. But of course, even there, we know that the underground church of true Christians is, is growing and thriving. So yeah, uh, another, another evidence that, you know, even though persecution comes, you know, God's people are still strong. He is, their spirit is, his spirit is still with them. And, and, uh, you know, just a reminder that we will win in the end. So yeah. there's, there's, there's persecution. There's much of an evidence of coming persecution, but there's also reason for, for joy and comfort as well. Yeah. Definitely, we're seeing the list of things that Christians are being called bigots and haters oh, yeah. for growing as the world begins to tolerate more and more evil and confusion and delusion. The more we speak up for the truth, the more we're called, oh, you're phobic of these things. We're going to be called haters. We're going to be labeled yeah. terrorists. I mean, the rhetoric has definitely ramped up against Christian values. Yeah. And that precedes being violent to people. If you can dehumanize them and call them monsters, then you mm -hmm. can you can kill them, exterminate them. And we've seen this throughout history. Yeah. And going back to the closer context to when Jesus said this, that whoever kills you think he's, thinks he's offering service to God, you'll be kicked out of the synagogues. Um, there was a 
persecution from the Christ-rejecting Pharisees during Jesus's life, uh, and then yeah. of the disciples directly by those same Pharisees and Sadducees. In my Tuesday Bible study, I have a men's discipleship group. We're going through the book of Acts, and we're mm -hmm. seeing how it was the religious people, the Sadducees, that didn't believe in the resurrection that were putting the apostles in prison. And mm -hmm. Paul the Apostle himself, who before he became a follower of Christ, was a persecutor yeah. and was locking up Christians and having them executed yeah. for blasphemy because he didn't know Jesus as the living God, as Lord and Savior. Mm -hmm. He thought he was a false messiah that the disciples were following. But God turned things around, and there was some peace. And then, you know, historically, there's been rise and fall of persecution up and down. And mm -hmm. so we should be prepared for those seasons. Thank God when there's peace, we should pray for peace. Paul says to Timothy and to the Thessalonians to live a quiet and peaceable life and pray for those in authority that you may be able to mind your own business and do our work in peace. But we ought to be prepared as well for the persecution and not cower or change our faith or accommodate the world's wishes for what they want Christianity to be. We have to contend for the faith as it was once and for all delivered to us. Yes. And I think... I think you made a really good point there that we don't do enough, that I certainly don't do enough. And that is, as scripture says, we're, we're to pray for those people in authority. You know, even though we're uh, persecution is expected, we should be praying for our leaders. We should be praying that they come to know the truth. We should be praying that they come to yeah. know Christ and are saved. You know, and and certainly if we have more of our leaders saved, there's there's reason to believe that, that will delay that persecution or, or blunt it a little bit. Um, but just for the sake of their souls, we should be praying for our leaders. And I know I don't do that enough. Yep. So thank you for that reminder. It's a good one. Yeah. And Jesus says these things to remind us of, mm. of things. And he yeah, even gives yeah. us insight into why they do it. And going to our next verse, verse 3 of John chapter 16, mm -hmm. he says, and they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. That really helps me to see, you know, politicians and people in different political parties and, and of different uh, ideologies. I see them not as the enemy, but I see them as victims, really, of their own ignorance, if you will. They don't know yeah. God. They don't know Jesus. And so, of course, they're going to act like the world because they don't yeah. know the things that we know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A friend of ours says, often says, heathen's going to heave, you know, if somebody is. Yeah. If somebody doesn't have a knowledge of God, if they don't understand, I mean, they're going to be held accountable for their wrong decisions, of course, but they're unsaved people acting like unsaved yeah. people act. I mean, do you really... Do you really expect anything different from them? Yeah. You know, that's 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 where they are. That's where they live. Yeah, so, so. speaking of the world hating Christians, that's really the mm -hmm. way it is. It's not Christians hating the world, but no. they're trying to turn the tables to make us look like the hateful ones. It couldn't be further yeah, from well, the I'm, truth. If we're truly no, Christians, it, it, we love our neighbors as ourselves. Yeah, and, and you're absolutely right. We are, we are commanded to love others, even those that hate us. But I think we also need to acknowledge and be reminded that, you know, when it comes to some of these newer social issues and things that have, have caused so much contention in the world, um, Christians haven't always done the best job with handling them in a loving way. So mm -hmm. we, we need to be reminded to be careful, to be absolutely uncompromising and standing for God's truth, but also to make sure that we are loving in the way we, we present those truths. Amen. Yeah. And because the root of their hatred of Christians is that they don't know Jesus or the Father, this solution to persecution is not, well, let's, uh, you know, 
put a petition and let's fight, you know, physical revolutions or anything like that. The solution is to bring the knowledge of God to the world. That's right. Preach the gospel. Yeah. You make your enemies your friends by preaching the gospel. <laughs> they can uh, join us. <laughs> they can become enlightened that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Yeah. And uh, we can come to the Father through him. Amen. So let's keep preaching the word. Let's go on to yes. uh, verse 4. But I've said these things to you, that when the hour comes, you may remember that I said them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. Verse 5. But now I'm going to him who sent me and none of you asks where are you going yeah he kind of held off on the bad news while he was preparing and encouraging them and now he's letting them know things are going to get rough and also responding to their reaction he says but now i am going to him who sent me and none of you asks where you were going they're so upset with the fact of him going they're not even thinking about what it means that he's going away yeah and that's that that's key i mean because he's going away but it's it, it's for good it's for it's for blessing and it's necessary yeah it matters where jesus is going next. Yes. Well, we often use the term Christocentric, right? Jesus-centered. Mm-hmm. And these disciples were truly Jesus-centered in their in in the last three years. They were learning how to follow Jesus. They were working by his side. But then if you mm-hmm. remove Jesus from that, that framing physically, then they were lost. Then they feel just so lost. Like, where are we going to be without Jesus? The body of Jesus will, will be taken from them, both in the cross and then after the resurrection, he appears several times, but then he ascends to heaven bodily, and then he sends the Holy Spirit to be with them. So in a sense, he's preparing them for still being Christ-centered, but the Spirit of God will will be with them. But he does want them yeah. to know where his body is going, where he's going physically. And that is, right? What's the answer to that, Dan? Where's Jesus ultimately right now, physically? Well, physically, he is in heaven. He is at the right hand of the Father. Yeah, which, what does that mean? You often define that on the streets. We should probably do that here. I do, yes. When it says he he ascended to the right hand of the Father, that is not as in God, the Father has a physical right hand that he's standing on or anything. Mm-hmm. But when it says that he is at the right hand of the Father, he is in the position of authority. Yep. Um, when when you say, and this, this expression isn't used as much as it used to be, when you know, but when there's a leader and, and he has his right hand or his right hand, man, somebody that works for him, somebody that that carries that authority with him and does his work in his place. So mm-hmm. that's the same thing with, with Jesus here. When he's going to the right hand of the Father, he is in a position of authority, of, of the Father's authority. Yeah. And, and that's, that, is, that is good news, because if we've trusted in Jesus, then we've got the one at God's right, at the Father's right yeah. hand, in the position of authority, who is able to speak for us. And yeah. that that's good news. That, that's <laughs> that's where, very good news. That's where Jesus was going ultimately, to the throne. Yeah, yeah. He'll be in control. <laughs> and so, you know, it's not that Jesus is lost. He's going right back to where he came from, he that is. is in heaven, on the throne, in glory, where he is overseeing everything, Lord of Lords, yes. King of Kings, and he's coming yes. back again. But it's, it's just uh, always fascinating to me to think about, like, Jesus and where, you know, how he worked in uh, different periods of time before the incarnation, mm-hmm. starting in creation uh, and then stepping into creation. And now he's going to be leaving creation and stepping back into eternity in heaven and place of authority. Mm-hmm. I like that. Good. Yeah, good stuff. And, and just uh, as a side note to that, we've got to remember this as Christians because 
you know, all human beings, but even us as Christians, we tend to focus on the right now and the bad things that are happening to us. Yeah. And, uh, and if we focus on, on the negative, because there will always be negative, whether it's persecution based or not, you know, rather than looking forward to who God is and what he did and how we will spend eternity with him, it's easy to get discouraged, but we need to look past the immediate to the eternal. We really do. And it makes all the difference in the world of just being mentally and spiritually healthy. You know, remember, God has already won the battle and we are on his team and we will be with him in eternity and take joy and comfort in that. Yes, we're speaking to believers, obviously. If you're not a believer Mm -hmm. listening to us today, uh, we encourage you to become one. Trust in Jesus, turn from your sin, and um, then you won't have reason for sorrow when you think of eternity, but you'll have reason for joy. But in the moment, yeah, he does say in verse 6, because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. So that's where they were at. And he's, he's having, he's, you know, it's interesting that he's going to be going to the cross. He has sorrow in his heart. He's, yeah. and he's going to be bearing the, the weight of our sin and the wrath of God. Yet, even in the hours just before what he would endure, he still cares for what his disciples are feeling. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we as humans get so focused on our own feelings. We, if we're sorrowful, we don't, we don't really care about what other people feel. But Jesus <laughs> is always, yeah. uh, everything he did, he did through love. He loved perfectly. Even when he had an immense amount of stress, he still was concerned for how his disciples were feeling. Yeah, that agape love, that that love that that desires the the best for the other person mm-hmm. um, selflessly. Um, yeah, that's, it's an amazing thing. So he goes on to encourage the disciples. And now we're going to talk about a big topic in the Bible, and one mm. of the, the third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, yes. Yeah. You ready to go into this section, Dan? We're 7 yeah, sure. through 15, which in my yeah. Bible, there's a little uh, title for the section, The Work of the Holy Spirit. Yes. It's a big topic we're entering into, and I like to teach on this topic topically, but we we get to, to have Jesus introduce us to the work of the Holy Spirit. He has talked about the Holy Spirit in previous chapters, but here we are not just talking about the person of the Spirit, who he is, but what he does, what he does for non-Christians and what he does for Christians. Everyone has a relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's just, which side are you on? Are you are you his enemy <laughs> or are you his friend? Is I heard an interesting thing, too, just about Jesus. You want him as your—Jesus is like a lawyer. He's, he's, it's better to have him be your defending lawyer than your prosecuting attorney, because he's going to win. All right, so shall we read the, the paragraph? I feel like it might make more sense if we read the paragraph. Yeah, again. I think we should read the whole paragraph as a whole. You okay. want to do that or you want me to? Um, would you do it, verse 7 through I'll 15? All right. I'll do that. Thanks. So, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot hear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. 
all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Wow, what a list of things that the Holy Spirit does. Yes. Um, I like it, it really lends itself to a three-point sermon when he says the Holy Spirit <laughs> will convict the world of three things, yes. sin, righteousness, and judgment. But first, what, what is the word convict? And, and when we speak of the world, what does, the, what does that mean? Who is the mm. world? Um, well, the world that it's talking about here is is the, I guess you could say, the secular world, the natural world as far as human beings come, not the natural world as far as animals and plants or anything mm-hmm. like that, but the world in the, the world order, um, the order that is by nature in rebellion against God and his truth. Yeah. So he's going to convict them, the world, regarding sin and righteousness and judgment, yeah. those who don't know him. I take it as a promise to that all non-believers— have the Holy Spirit outside them bearing witness with their conscience, telling them when they're doing sin, that's sin. And when they see what is right, that's righteousness. And Mm -hmm. convicting also of the uh, future judgment that God is going to judge good and bad. So uh, he he, uh, is very helpful for us as evangelists because he does what we cannot do, and that is speak directly to people's hearts and uh, bring bring them into conviction. Yeah, I think that's something we don't think about enough. Obviously, as uh, if you're a Christian, then you know that the Holy Spirit lives inside you, and it's only through His strength that we do all that we do. Um, but also, we need to remember that the Holy Spirit is our is our ally in speaking with people too. Yeah, He speaks, even though He doesn't uh, indwell unbelievers. He does speak and communicate with them and shows them the truth. Mm-hmm. So, convict means well. You think of the term in the legal sense: a judge can. Uh, bring a conviction down. He he slams the gavel and says, you've been declared mm-hmm. guilty and you will be sentenced now. Uh, it Also, mm-hmm. a person is a convict who's in jail. It yes. means to be convinced of something or something's been proven um, mm-hmm. to establish guilt, generally. Um, but also Christians talk in this terms. It's not necessarily Christianese, but the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit can convict Christians too. We, you know, we have certain convictions we talk about. They're, we're personally convinced of, of different things in our lives, whether it's doctrinally or practically, of what we want, what God wants us to do. Those are convictions where God makes known to us uh, right and wrong, gives us discernment. But non-believers can know what is right and what is wrong, as the Absolutely. Holy Spirit. You know, it's not just arbitrary. In other words, <laughs> we have we've had some atheists, haven't we, Dan? Say, oh, I don't need the Bible to tell me what is good and bad. I can, I just know it. Yeah, I have a feeling. Remember, we heard that on our little debate that we had recently. I, I, I just, I, I feel it. I know what's true because I feel it. Yeah. And yes, I have no doubt that you feel it. The question is, where is that feeling coming from? Mm-hmm. Is it just arbitrary? Is it just random? If, if it's just random, if it's just a chemical reaction, I've got no reason to care what your feelings are. Yeah. You know, but there is even that that atheist. You know, to a certain extent, although he's clearly suppressing the truth on on a pretty large. Mm-hmm level. Even in his case, there are certain things he can't get away from. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if he saw somebody murdering a child or attempting to murder a child, he would know that that was wrong. And I have no doubt that he would do what he could to prevent that. 
you know, so yeah. And that yeah. is, that is, that's by the work of the Holy Spirit. It really is. Yep. So thankful for that because, you know, oftentimes that is an area where we can make, make, uh, gain ground in a conversation with a non-believer mm-hmm. is that they can recognize objectively evil deeds. Like yes. murdering children for fun. Like obviously that is, <laughs> that is <Yes>. bad. <laughs> and, you know, so they would state that absolutely. Well, the only way you could state that is if there is a God who has authority. And Jesus gives us another reason why they can know these things for certain, and that's in verse 9, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. In verse 10, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. In verse 11, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is cast out or is judged. Yes. So eat, notice each one of these things is tied to, um, well, the first two are tied to what Jesus did. In other words, Jesus going, the fact that Jesus came and people didn't believe in him, but he um, still did everything the Father told him to do. Mm-hmm. And then he went to the cross. He was resurrected. He was accepted before uh, God in heaven. He ascended into heaven he w- where he seats, sits now at the throne of God. He is the is the standard, really, I think is what he's saying in verse 10. Because mm-hmm. I go to the Father and you see me no longer, yeah. that's how the Holy Spirit convicts the world of righteousness, because Jesus mm-hmm. is the standard of righteousness. Yes. If you want to be accepted by God, you have to be as good as Jesus. That's what it looks like to be righteous. Yeah. And maybe that ties into something we talked about last week that we were a little bit puzzled by, like when Jesus said, um, if I had not come, they would not have been guilty of sin. Mm. Well, they wouldn't have seen what perfect righteousness looks like if Jesus hadn't yeah. have come. We, we could all say, well, everyone sinned. Who knows? Who, you know, people often argue, oh, everyone's done that. But so who really can do that? We're just human. Well, Jesus was human, but he was the perfect human. Yes, yes. The, he's the standard of righteousness. Yeah, at the very least, their sin was was that much more that much deeper and more profound because they saw the perfect standard. Yeah, so the Holy Spirit convicts concerning sin because they do not believe in me, he says. Yeah, I also think that 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 verse indicates that, you know, reminds us rather than unbelief. The fact of unbelief is sin. You know, a lot of people will say, well, I don't believe in God. So, you know, why should I care? Why should I be guilty of that? Well, you have no reason for good reasons for unbelief. Your unbelief is sin in and Mm -hmm. of itself. Mm -hmm. And belief is the only in Jesus is the only way to be relieved of the punishment for your sin. Correct. So if you're we've you know, we often use the Ten Commandments to help bring conviction of sin and the Holy Spirit bears witness with the word of God to Mm -hmm. people's consciences. But the point is that when you believe in Jesus, he counts your faith as righteousness, and he takes your sin and he's punished for it in your place so you can be seen as justified before God. Um, But if you don't believe in him, then you're still in your sin. You're still guilty of sin because you don't believe in him. It doesn't solve the problems to say, I don't believe in God. It adds to the problem. It does. And uh, you you could say that the unforgivable sin, what is the unforgivable sin? Well, Jesus says in another place, it's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. But to harmonize Mm -hmm. this with what Jesus says here, it's it's speaking against and completely and utterly rejecting the witness of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus is righteous and that he's going to judge and you need to get right 
right with him. If you reject the way to get right with God until the day you die, you take your last breath as an atheist, as a non-believer or whatever other false faith you believe in. Um, yeah, there are. there's only one true faith. I'm going to say it. Christianity. Uh, yes. Jesus. <laughs> If True. you're still in your sin or in you're in any other faith besides believing in Christ, there's there's that's unforgivable. Unless you come to Christ, then you can be forgiven. So there's one way. Amen, amen. So the third point that the Spirit convicts of is judgment. And why? Verse 11, because the ruler of this world is judged. What mm-hmm. does that mean? Who is the ruler of this world? That would be the devil. That would be Satan. And uh, so the ruler of this world, the the one who is the uh, well, the prince of the power of the air. There's lots of different descriptions for him, but he is he is judged and will be judged. I I and I'm no expert on the Greek here, but reading up on some of the commentaries, it says the uh, um, the the verb that is actually being used here is the perfect tense verb verb, which would indicate past judgment. He has been judged and that he is continuing in that state of judgment. So mm. it's a past thing and an ongoing thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, there was judgment. Obviously, he was cast out of he was cast out of heaven, but there will be even greater judgment for him coming. That's for sure. The word judgment, you know, it's it's not a topic that, you know, if you were asked to be a guest speaker at a church, you don't really want to say, I'm going to talk about judgment. Um, but Maybe you should, though. I don't know. It is a topic throughout Scripture. I mean, the word shows up 170 times in my little Bible search app. And uh, it's one of the topics that, as evangelists, we need to talk about because yes. it's a life or death situation. And when we read in the book of Acts, uh, the apostles apostles spoke about the judgment. We read the epistles. They talk about the judgment. Revelation definitely talks about the judgment. Um, Mm -hmm. It's appointed for a man once to die, and then comes the judgment, the Bible says. And so this is something we need to talk about, and it would be wise to consider and to prepare for. So our non-believing audience, we want to encourage you to, to recognize that one day you will stand before God in judgment. And since Satan has been judged, there on the cross, Jesus dealt the death blow as he was pierced through his feet and hands. Jesus himself was disarming Satan's power over the world. Um, Maybe, Dan, you have that cross-reference where it says he he disarmed the rulers and principalities. I think it's in Colossians. Yes, that would be Colossians 2.15 that you're talking about. Yes. So let me see. Actually, can I read a little bit of a bigger section there? Sure. Because I think that is, is is so important. Yeah, so, so I'll start with verse 13. This is also a passage that I share frequently um, on the street. It says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Such a great passage. Yes. Acts 20, 25, Paul the Apostle was was in prison, and after verse 24, after some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I have an opportunity, I will summons you. I will summon you. Um, at the same time, he had hoped that money would be given him by Paul to as a bribe to yeah, be boy. set free. But 
it was interesting that as Paul was explaining Christianity to a non-believer, he talked about two of these topics that Jesus mentioned here, righteousness and judgment, the coming judgment. Yes. And it is a fearful thing. You know, that is one of the tactics that we should use, I believe, uh, the fear of the Lord. It's if there is a real judgment coming, we ought to warn people about it and tell them how to prepare for that day. Yeah. More than that, I think, you know, people will often say, well, I don't want to talk about God's judgment. I just want to talk about God's love. And God's love will draw more people than talking about his judgment. I actually could not disagree more. I think that God's love is most clearly shown when we do understand the judgment that we need. I uh, that we deserve, rather. I, I posted something on Facebook about this earlier today, mm. you know, and it's just, you know, if, if we talk about God as king, who has authority over us, who should rightly and rightly could judge us for our sins, this king of the universe, we have tried to, we have rebelled against him, we have tried to burn his kingdom down. But rather than judging us, he shows us mercy. He adopts us into his family. And he says we will rule and reign with his son. How amazing is that? How amazing that love, you know, just this kind of wishy-washy love, you know, it, it doesn't really hold the weight that it should yeah. unless we understand judgment and what we actually deserve. And that God who should judge us instead showing us love and mercy. Wow. Yeah. Just wow. That's incredible. That's incredible. Good point, Dan. I think just the general idea of mercy has been dropped from the idea of love by the world. Yeah, you know, it really it's almost has. like you know people are saying, "Well, we deserve love. We deserve all of these rights. We deserve all yeah. these privileges." Well, what we deserve is God's wrath, and mercy right. is when we don't get the 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 punishment that we deserve. You know, so yeah. the idea of mercy being a part of God's love is super important. Mm-hmm. And it, it it is a legal transaction that happens when you become a believer. He declares you righteous, and therefore he no longer has to punish you for your sin. You mm-hmm. have a new status before God. Justification. That's that's what it means to be. That's one of the meanings of, and one of the ways in which God saves us is from the punishment of sin. We're still yeah. in the process of being saved from the practice of sin through this mm-hmm. pra- process of sanctification. But it, I think it. It all starts with recognizing our need for justification. Mm-hmm. And that happens in a moment. The moment you yeah. repent and turn to Christ, that's when you are justified and sealed with the Holy Spirit, and He comes mm-hmm. in and makes you a new person. If anyone is in Christ, He's a new creation, the Bible says. Old things have gone, the new has come. You go from being an enemy to a friend of God when you're reconciled to God. And so there's there's no longer any judgment for believers. Mm. There there will be a judgment of rewards for believers, but this is the judgment. We've passed from death to life through Christ. He was judged for us believers Mm. so that we won't be judged. Amen. And if you're a non-believer today... I have to warn you, you're going to be judged by God, but I'm saying that so that you can run to Jesus and receive him as your advocate. He will save you if you trust in him with all your heart. Yes, indeed. So what else does the Holy Spirit do? He convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Mm -hmm. But Jesus gives us very specific promises what he'll do for the disciples 
Yes. Uh, notable one is he will guide you into all the truth, mm-hmm. to all truth. Yes. There were things now, verse 12 says, there were things that, that Jesus wanted to say to them, but they couldn't bear it yet. So there is a, there is a, the message in, in some sense is incomplete. Um, and that is something that is provided by the Spirit of Truth, that is provided by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, he didn't ha- have everything, he didn't have time to share more with them yeah. before he goes to the cross. And so the the work of guiding the disciples into all the truth will go to the Holy Spirit. I also yes. think that applies to the scriptures that they would write. Yes, I agree. I agree. As uh, we have the, now the full canon of Scripture, the whole standard of the full counsel of God written in Scripture, the, as mm-hmm. the final rule and authority written by uh, the apostles, um, we trust that the Holy Spirit has superintended the writing of Scripture so that everything they wrote is true. We believe in the inerrancy and inspiration <laughs> of Scripture, uh, both Old and New Testament. And this is one of the basis for that. Jesus said he will guide them into all the truth. That's right. That's right. And we see how this kind of proceeds through the uh, through the Godhead, through the through the Trinity, because of course we've got Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We go down to verse fifteen. We've got Jesus saying, "All that the Father has is mine." And then when the Spirit comes in thirteen, He will guide you into all truth. He will not um, declare. He will not speak of His own authority, but wherever He hears. He will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. So we've, if we look at all of that, we've got the Father as the source. The Father sends the Son. Jesus gives his message. Jesus as the Son gives his message, but he hasn't given all of his message because there's more for them to know and understand than he is able to communicate at that point. So all that is, all that is the Father's is Christ's. All that Christ has, the message that he has, is going to be declared through the Spirit. So we see the Father, the Son, the Spirit, and the whole process of God's Word being given in full to his disciples and then to us. It's an amazing thing. There's so much so much truth and really so much detail of the working of the Trinity all packed into these little few verses. Mm-hmm. And it speaks of the unity and internal consistency within the yes. Bible. The Holy yes. Spirit isn't like teaching us new truths. There's more mm-hmm. that uh, will be revealed, but he takes what is already true, <laughs> takes what is yes. Jesus's and yes. gives it to us. He speaks not by his own authority, but speaks yes. from God, the Father, yeah. and from Jesus. So there's a there's an internal consistency in the Word of God because there's a consistency in the nature of God. Yes, exactly. So a message given, the message from the Father given to Jesus, and then from Jesus it is declared in, in its fullness and its completeness by the Spirit. Yep. So, yep, yep. And as we learn, Very clear. we have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, and we grow mm-hmm. as Christians, we, we can develop a discernment on when it's the Holy Spirit speaking and when it's not. You know, for example, Jesus tells us in verse 14, He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He points us to Jesus. He convicts the world of sin concerning what Jesus has done for us, and and he glorifies Jesus when he speaks.
weeks. It's it's you know there's a lot of oh, how do I call it Hoc- hocus pocus when the subject of the Holy Spirit comes up in some churches and yes. in, in a lot of churches because people churches. think that well it, the Holy Spirit is just a, a buzzword for you know we're very spiritual and and a lot of things are done mm-hmm. in the name of the Holy Spirit and claims of visions and prophecies that have nothing to do with Jesus. Sometimes yes. people are telling these stories and I'm like what does this have to do with Jesus? Because it's the work of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus. I think mm-hmm. the story you're telling me more glorifies you. <laughs> and, yeah. and I think we should just focus on Jesus. I actually had yeah. I had this happen at the, our outreach in Capitola. Mm. There were a couple of people that came up and uh, I don't know if I, I don't want to say too much about who they are, but um, they weren't from the church that we were uh, serving with. I'll say that. Yeah. But they were professing believers and then they started telling stories about, oh, I, I saw Jesus in a dream and he, and I, you know, they're going into all these spiritual experiences and revelations they have, but had nothing to do with what we were there to do, and that is share the gospel about what Jesus did, who he is, yeah. how to receive him as Savior. It was just like, okay, where are these stories leading? Jesus, yeah. the Holy Spirit, he leads us to Jesus. If it's leading someone away to follow someone yeah. else, maybe that's not the Holy Spirit speaking. Yeah, 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 we should. I mean, I I agree. I've, I've seen the same kind of thing multiple times on the street. And there's, of course, we would, we would not say that there's anything wrong with a personal testimony talking about what the Spirit has done in our lives. Um, but yes, if the stories, and, and this happens a lot, if the stories end up glorifying you and putting you foremost, then there's a problem. We're, the Spirit was sent to glorify partially. One of his purposes is to glorify Christ. And our greatest purpose as Christians, I'd say, is to glorify Christ. So yeah, a really, really important point. Yeah. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Yes. So just as we wrap up the program today, some of the other things that Jesus says the Holy Spirit will do, and there's a long list of spiritual gifts. We're not going to get into that study today. But what we see in John 16 is the Holy Spirit, he speaks. So it again, underscores the, the personhood of the Holy Spirit. He's not an impersonal force. He is a he, and he speaks, um, mm-hmm. and he will predict things. He will say what's going to happen. So prophecy is a whole nother subject we can get into, but suffice it to say that if the Holy Spirit is predicting something, it will come to pass. If Amen. someone says they're speaking by the Holy Spirit and it's not coming to pass, or it's not even measurable that it can come to pass at any specific time or place, then that may not be the Holy Holy Spirit speaking. Or yes. It's definitely not the Holy Spirit speaking if it's a false prophecy. Um, another thing the Holy Spirit does, uh, I already mentioned it, he will glorify Jesus. But I think that's more than just pointing to Jesus and um, testifying about Jesus. I think mm-hmm. he, he really helps us to see how glorious Jesus is. And he, yes. and he draws us to Jesus because mm-hmm. he is so glorious. And if someone has a low view of Jesus, it's probably because they have low revelation from the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So if you want to appreciate Jesus more, then may the Holy Spirit speak to you about how good and glorious he is. I think the most Christ-centered people are the most Spirit-filled people. Mm, yes. Amen. Yeah, he declares things, finally. He takes what is of Jesus and declares it to us. That's an interesting word, declare. Mm. It's a revelatory, it's a proclamation, it's an authoritative word. So don't think that the Holy Spirit is just this escape clause where you can say, well, the Spirit told me. (laughs) 
we really need to confirm when the Holy Spirit, spe- if, if you think the Holy Spirit is speaking to you privately, personally, and then you go to tell other people, the Bible says, well, if someone claims to be a prophet, one could prophesy, but let the others in the church judge. So the standard that we use is the Holy Spirit will never contradict himself. So we've got to compare Scripture uh, to what the supposed prophecy is. If it's really a word from the Holy Spirit, the Scriptures should uh, bear witness with it. And I don't mean cherry-picking proof texts, but I, th- yeah. but I think if we understand the overall whole message of Scripture and we know key verses, then it will, be, it will help us to be prepared to discern, is this the Holy Spirit speaking or is it just my own heart speaking. Yeah. Yeah. Scripture does say that there are, you know, when we talk about prophecy or a word given, it can come from the spirit, it can come from the devil, or it can come from our own imagination. We need to make sure that that what we believe God is saying, you know, so, I mean, and some people will balk at this. The reason I bring it up is because some people will balk, well, I've, I've, I've heard something. So if it's, you say it's not from the spirit, does that mean it's from the devil? Well, maybe, yeah. but it may just be your own imagination too. So we should be very careful that we don't take our imaginations, even with the best of intentions, even with the the best of, of, you know, the best of intentions for other desiring the best for other people. We got to make sure that, you know, what we imagine is not projected on God. If it's not truly from him, it's really important. We need to have that high standard. If someone's Mm -hmm. claiming to speak from the spirit, because there are false prophets out there there and we got to be aware of those yeah. be beware scripture of warns us yes so thank god for the promise of the holy spirit and as we started this program we need to wrap it up with just the focus of why did jesus say these things he said them once again so that he can keep us from falling away as a reminder so we'd be prepared for when persecution and difficult times come and in order to give us peace his yes. peace that we would look to him and have the peace that he offers that the world cannot offer us so i encourage you Amen. guys today to turn and trust in Christ, to follow him and receive him and receive the Holy Spirit. If you've not yet become a believer, then uh, you don't have the Holy Spirit living within you. You can, though, when you receive Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit, you receive the Father, you receive peace with God, peace from God. Amen. So thank you for joining us this week, guys. We hope you will join us in future weeks as we continue our way through the Gospel of John and then eventually on from that. But we'll be hopefully finishing up Chapter 16 next week. If you want to find us online, you can find us at dwellontruth.org or oacnorcal.org. That's the uh, local site for the ministry that we work for. And you can also reach out to us at oacnorcal.gmail.com. And we would love to answer your questions. And who knows, if you've got a question that's relevant to what we've been studying, uh, the answer may even show up on our radio show. So God bless you, and thanks for joining us. Yes, continue to dwell on truth. Amen. Amen.